listening to a message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. If you'd like to know more about Red or its ministries, please go to redchurch.org.au. This is part of a series that we've been doing called More Than Me Every Day. This has been looking at that sense of how does God work through our everyday lives. In particular, we've been going since, really, with a series called More Since Pentecost, looking at the work of the Spirit, who is the Holy Spirit, who came at Pentecost to empower the church. And then in this everyday, it's a continuation of that series, and particularly how does the Spirit equip us in the everyday. I'm going to begin with a scripture. I'm not going to tell you what my sermon's about. You can guess as I read this scripture. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 5. Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Speaking here about that gift that came at Pentecost, where people speak in a tongue unknown to them or in a heavenly tongue. That's what he's referring to there. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, builds themselves up, in other words. But the one who prophesies edifies or builds up the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Not in a sense of status, but in a sense of how God uses that. Unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. I am speaking today about prophecy. And prophecy is one of those things which in the Christian church and in the experience in this room will then encapsulate a whole variety of responses. Some of you will be completely, this is a new thing to you if you're exploring faith. What is prophecy? Often we'll talk about, you know, the idea that someone has a prophetic in, you know, understanding of you know, what's going to happen in the world, almost like a soothsayer, someone looking into the future, someone like Nostradamus. Uh, someone will speak of a prophecy as something which is you know, guessing the tax lotto numbers. This is very different to what is spoken about in Scripture. Other people, depending on the church tradition you've come from, and maybe you've been in different church traditions, this will mean many things from you. Some people will come from churches where this is something that was just read about in Scripture, where it's not something practiced today, where these churches are just about the Bible, or maybe it's just about the liturgy. Other people, words of knowledge, prophecy will be normal to you. Other people will be from churches where there's stacks of prophecy, where you have prophets and there's this huge emphasis on prophecy. It's like the thing. And so also in these traditions, there's different experiences. Some of you will have had words which built you up, being in a church service, and this has happened to me, when someone has come across and said something to you that has just absolutely encouraged you, sometimes in the form of an image or words or even scripture, and it connects with things they could not have known. Other people have had a sense of hurt around words. Maybe prophecies have come that are confusing, haven't come to fruition. There's a sense where sometimes that's been abused. 
So all of this is in play. I want to begin with a story that happened to me when I was in my early 20s. I was in youth ministry. I think I'd just gone from being a youth ministry intern into a paid position. And my mate said, um, my, this, this prophet's coming to this service. Do you want to come along to this other church? Um, the internet hadn't really hit on yet, so I went along. There's nothing else to do. And we go to this place, and there's about 80 people there, and it starts, and there's an extended period of worship, and then this visiting prophet got up. And I realized very quickly that this was a different world than what I was used to. I had grown up in a church where you never saw a prophecy. My parents then moved to a church where there was more prophetic words just in the place and sort of the life of it, but this was like next level. So after the worship, the guy preached, and very quickly I'm like, this guy is not the sort of normal person that I'm used to, what I'm ministered doing. He was dancing and not just like bopping along. He was sort of doing a Holy Spirit river dance type thing. I'd not seen that before. Um, at one point, he was sort of railing against his denominational um, authorities, saying that he hoped they were listening to the tapes because it would shake them up. I'd never seen that before. And he was slaying different people in the spirit and giving prophetic words, and it went on for some time. It was like two or three hours. And I was just sort of watching in the back row, equivalent of up there, and then it was about to end, and I'm like getting ready to think about what we're going to have for dinner afterwards. It was like 9.30. And then he stops. He goes, hang on, there's someone here. And you. Guy next to me, no, you. Describes me, come on down. And so I come on down. By the way, I'm not doing any of this during the service. If you're worrying about me calling you forward, <laughs> um, if I'm pointing in those directions, I'm just recreating. And he, he brings me forward. And for some time, more than any other person there, he began to say a series of prophecies over my life. Now, what was really, really interesting is two things primarily happened. Number one, he began to say things which were that I was going to go into ministry more, that I was actually going to have a broader ministry than just at a local church, that actually would have international components, that actually was going to reach a bunch of people, and really weirdly, a number of things he said on that night have come true in my life. And the second basket of things he said, he said, this is all going to happen. And then he pointed to a person and said, and this person here, this other young guy who I'd never seen before, he said, he's going to be Jonathan to your David, like Aaron to your Moses. This guy's going to hold you up. He's going to be your second in command. He's going to like follow you to the ends of the earth. He's going to help you build this thing. He's going to get behind your ministry. This guy, this guy's going to do it. He said a number of other things as well. Afterwards, went up to the guy. <laughs> g'day, g'day. Um, what's your number? Yeah, we better give each other a number. Gave the number. And a few weeks later, he moved to another country and I never saw him again. And... A number of other things, which I won't go into all of, just never happened. At the end of this, he prayed for me, and he's like, I'm going to pray for you now, and he put his hand on my head and prayed for me, and in the prayer, there was things which absolutely resonated, and I felt this really Holy Spirit thing, but then at the same time, 
he started pushing on my head. And I'm like, I'm, I'm willing to go down for you, God, but I'm not willing to be pushed down by man. I'm happy to go down, fall down, you know, if I'm divinely knocked down. So I'm like, what do I do here? And I felt really uncomfortable. And to be honest, I felt a bit, like, pressured. thought, I'm open, God. If I'm struck down by a divine thing, I'm going, boom. But he started pushing harder and harder on my head. And then he said, right, I'm giving you the name Rockman, he who will not be knocked over. And I'm like, okay, are you saying that because you, you can't push me over and I'm resisting? But then he talked about that what would happen is these different pressures would come over me in my ministry. And over the next years, that very much happened, what he described there. And there has been this thing where God just had me in place resisting things. I got home from that. And I sat, it was late at night by this stage, in my lounge room. And I remember just being completely confused. Stuff that resonated. And since then has Resonated. It's taken me years to work through this. Like stuff that he said, I didn't see in myself at that time, but stuff has happened. Other stuff, this guy who I was going to be best friends and ministry partners with for life, never saw the bloke again. He moved to America, I think it was. And like, how do I hold this stuff together? And so that experience is what so many of us like collectively have felt about so much of this stuff. Like, in a sense, that experience of stuff happening that's true, what's that, all of that, I want to dive into and have a biblical exploration tonight of what is prophecy. I want to turn to another scripture. If you do have your Bibles in front of you, there are pew Bibles, maroon, purple, whatever you reckon they are, they are in front of you. And we're going to look at the book of Numbers, chapter 11. Numbers, chapter 11. 11. What's happening in this? Let's start at verse 24. Just to give you a quick summary, God has told Moses that he needs to share the burden of leadership. God is speaking directly to Moses. The Holy Spirit is on Moses to lead the people of God. And God is saying to Moses that he's going to now spread that around the people. Verse 24, 11:24. So Moses and went out and told the people what the Lord had said. He brought together 70 of their elders and had them stand around the tent. This is the tent of meeting. Holy Spirit, God's presence is in there. And this is where God speaks to Moses. So standing around the tent, verse 25, then the Lord came down in the cloud. This is like the Shekinah palpable presence of God and spoke with him. And he took some of the power of the spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70 elders. This is this transferring of this anointing. When the spirit rested on them, what happened? They prophesied. Spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but did not do so again. However, two men whose names were Eldad and Medad, have you seen Medad? Yeah, he's down the shop, had remained in the camp. They were not listed among the elders, but did not go out to the tent. Yet the Spirit also rested on them, and they prophesied in the camp. So they haven't turned up. They're wagging or something. They're in the original list of 70, but they haven't come to the tent of meeting, where the palpable presence of God is. So they're away down in the camp, because the tent of meeting was away from the camp, but the Holy Spirit rests on them, and they begin to prophesy. Verse 28, Joshua, son of Nun, 
who had been Moses' aide since youth, spoke up and said, Moses, my Lord, stop them. Stop them. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Two reactions to prophecy here. One in which Moses has this desire, which we see then fulfilled in the New Testament, that all people would have the spirit on them, that all God's people would have the spirit and all God's people would prophesy. Joshua has a different reaction. His reaction is because this has gone outside of his understanding of things, is actually to stop these men from prophesying. So I want to use those two approaches, the Joshua mentality and the Moses mentality, and actually use them as a way of comparing what's happening here and two different attitudes we can have towards prophecy. A Joshua mentality around prophecy can just see prophecy through an Old Testament perspective. In the Old Testament, we had people called prophets. We have the great prophets like Jeremiah or Isaiah, Elijah, Elisha. And these are people who speak God's word. Like literally what they speak is the literal words of God. The prophet in the Old Testament who got anything wrong was instantly declared a false prophet. They were not a true prophet. They were required of 100% accuracy. There was also a few of these people. They were otherworldly. They were like these guys on the edge of culture. They were completely different to everyone else. And so often what we can do is when we come to prophecy, we can actually have an Old Testament perspective. And we'll see how that plays out. Now, Part of that Joshua mentality, therefore, some people can believe then that prophecy does not continue past the age of the apostles, that it does not go into our time, that it stopped, that in the early church, that actually prophecy stopped. Now, this can also be another kind of, of, and I'll explain that more in a second, but there can also be another kind of approach which is that only special people are prophets. This idea that we might get a prophet in and they're the only people and they come in and they're super accurate and there's just these sort of super prophets and they have big ministries and big platforms and they're the only ones who operate in this gift. And the last element of what I call this Joshua mentality is the idea that prophecy is exactly the same as Scripture that it's equal to the Word of God. So one of the reasons I believe that many people, despite in the New Testament it talking and encouraging us to use prophecy, can't bring it into contemporary Christian practice is because they fear that having prophecy in play in the church will cause a rivalry with actually the Word of God. I'll move that for anyone who doesn't like things out of place. So... When we compare this to a Moses mentality around prophecy, Moses speaks of the reality to come. In the Old Testament, a few people had this gift, but in the New Testament, we see this actually falling upon the people of God. The prophet Joel, in chapter 2 
of his book says in verse 28, speaking of the day of the Lord, I will pour my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Moses, in desiring a time when all God's people have the spirit and prophesy. Joel, pointing towards this. And at the beginning of the church in the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit falls on the church, we see Peter both preaching and prophesying. And what passage does he reference? This one in Joel. When that moment begins when all of God's people prophesy. But prophecy does not compete with scripture as we'll find. So a Mo- a J- Moses' mentality is that prophecy continues until the end of the age. A Moses' mentality says that actually there's a form of prophecy that the whole body can engage in. And interestingly, Moses' mentality is prophecy is not the equal of scripture, it's lesser, but it's still important. So what on earth is prophecy then? Prophecy is something born out of the relational dynamic between God and humans, with God speaking and humans listening. Mike Pilavachi and Andy Croft say this, when God gives us a prophecy, he's giving us an invitation to come closer to him. This is about humans getting divine nudgings and words. This is about the overlap of heaven and earth in our lives where we step out of our human understandings into a different space where God is speaking to us and this is born of an intimacy with God. A couple of other quotes, again from Pilavachi and Croft. The gift of prophecy is a unique way in which we hear and communicate a revelation from God. Wayne Grudem says this, most prophecy is human words reporting that something that God brings to mind. Human words reporting something that God brings to mind. One of the things that I struggled when I heard this prophet and had come forward and there was stuff which rang true and other stuff which didn't didn't resonate is that what I had bought into was actually an Old Testament concept of prophecy. That prophecy would then be 100% accurate. That if this guy got this, this stuff right, the other stuff must be right. The fact that I never saw that bloke again, who was meant to be best friends forever, therefore invalidated the other stuff that was said. And for years, this really confused me. But we need to understand this through a paradigm of what prophecy looks like in the New Testament. This is a really helpful chart. And what we see here is that prophecy is a mixture of God's words and human words. We have in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 9 and 12, a couple of really interesting verses. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 9 says, For we know in part and we prophesy in part. Not in full, in part. Verse 12 says this, For we now see only a reflection in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully as I am fully known. This sense that what is going on with prophecy is there's human stuff, human images, human words, but there's also God's words. And why then is this happening? Why isn't there 100% accuracy? Well, I just want to just put a hypothetical before you for a second. Imagine 
if I could pray right now that you would have 100% accurate prophetic gift. 100%. That you would see what was going to happen and you would know every time and you were just 100% spot on on what was going on. Let me tell you the first thing what happened is you would be knocking people's socks off. You would be delivering words every week that were just incredibly accurate and cut through that grew people. Now, the first thing is I would want to talk to you I would want to use that ministry in red. I would want to know your insights on what red should do next. It would be brilliant to have someone with 100% accuracy. Now, if that just then took red into this next stage where literally so many people were coming because of this 100% accuracy, that probably what would happen is a ministry would develop that would go beyond red. That all of a sudden, the biggest churches in the world would be coming to you and you'd be getting a lot of prestige, a lot of platforms. Churches with a lot of money would be coming to you. Now, if you're 100% accurate, I know there's another group that would want to talk to you. All these articles at the moment about recessions, what should the Reserve Bank do? Well, the Reserve Bank would probably want to talk to you if you had 100% accuracy. And another group would actually want to talk to you. That's the Australian government and probably the Australian Defence Department. Imagine having 100% prophetic accuracy in your intelligence community. Now, you'd also then have like America ring up, hello, we're allies that person from Red Church who knows everything 100%, you would be revered like a God. Incredible temptation brought before you. Could you handle it? I couldn't. I couldn't handle it. Hands up. I could not do that. Actually, things come in part. Jesus spoke in parables to draw people to him, but also we walk in weakness. This is stepping into weakness with God because if God gave us everything, we would trust more in ourselves than in him. We'd see the gift as God versus God who gives the gift. Really key. So we see on this chart that we have sort of three different types of prophetic words. The first one is weak prophetic, which is like an immature word. This could be someone who is gifted, that God is speaking. God gives these gifts. God gives and wants his people to speak these words, but there could be a whole bunch of human stuff in there. Someone could deliver this to you in the wrong way, but there's truth in there. Someone could deliver it to you with a bit of pride, like, hey, I've got this word for you. So in that, you could have a, a, a proportion of, there could be 20% something God's saying and 80% a bunch of human flesh. In the middle, we have average prophetic or mature words from God, which is like a mixture of both. But then we have strong prophetic words, which are mostly God's words. In the last couple of weeks, there was something I was really wrestling with, with trying to what to do in the life of the church. And I won't go into detail what it is, but I went to a, another meeting, and it was another person with me who was aware of all of this. I went into this meeting, and, and people been praying. At the end, someone said, it stopped. And then someone said, oh, we just got this image. And they said this image, which meant nothing to them absolutely meant nothing to them. And I knew exactly what it meant. After they delivered it, they were like, ah, oh, I didn't even know what that was. It was that weird. And then they just moved on. And I was like, oh, thank you, God. That was like hugely, hugely 80, 90% what God was saying. I had confirmation when the other person who was aware of the situation came to me and goes, I was actually struggling not to look at you when that word was given because it was just so on the money. That was a strong prophetic word. 
So you begin to see that there's almost different levels going on here. Mike Bickle has these four levels. Uh, the first one is simple prophecy, and that's really what I'm going to be touching on tonight. This idea that every believer, when they begin to learn to listen to God, will find nudges from God, words from God, things that he says, gives images, sometimes dreams, these things where God is speaking to you and he's giving you prophecy. Some of us have never recognized these because we've got an Old Testament Joshua mentality that we're expecting it to feel like, or we're expected to be like some super prophet who comes along and looks like some Old Testament person rocking up with like some robe on and a staff at the edge of the service eating locust. But God speaks to his people. This is the promise that Moses spoke of. This is what the New Testament says. So every believer can listen and have some connection with what God is doing in simple forms of prophecy. Then we have a prophetic gifting where people are gifted in this concept of a spiritual gift. They have a gift of prophecy. This means these people will use this gift more, that they seem to have more than other people. They're particularly gifted by God in this, in this means. They will give key words to people. Sometimes they'll get it wrong, but often they'll get it right. Other people have such a strong gifting, level three, that they then go into some form of ministry around this. It might not be their whole ministry, but a lot of their ministry is giving words. And then the last one is like prophets. This is like, not like the Old Testament, but this is like an office of a prophet. Now, I'm just going to be honest. I've only met a few of these in my life, but oh my goodness. Like these people, uh, Trudy and I met someone like this recently, and just incredible. Didn't know us and just walked up, bang, key things. Incredible things. I saw that person over the next few days of the event I was at with them. Just everywhere they were, someone was crying and they were just delivering accurate words. I literally had an issue that I was wrestling with. I got an email and I sat down and this person just said, stop, you just got an email from this person, said the name, he had no, there was utterly no way he knew the name, told me what that person's email was about, it was on, the money, and then told me what to do from there. Like next level. Level four. <laughs> and what's really interesting is the two people that I, I know that I would call prophets, neither of them work in Christian ministry. Really interesting. But they just have this sort of side thing happening where they just go around and deliver this stuff. Now, we could do multiple sermons here, but I just want to focus then on simple prophecy. So simple prophecy. Now, how we need to understand this, because when we talk about this, and then we read scripture. Paul puts some rules around this. Mike Pilavachi and Andy Croft have this illustration that if you imagine like the, the rules of a game, they say like a soccer, you have different rules. There's boundaries which you cannot go outside of. This is the boundary lines for prophecy. If it contradicts this, it's a throwing slash heresy. <laughs> there are set times when the game is extended for and so you have these boundaries. So scripture tells us to desire prophecy, but at the same time, Paul also erects some boundaries so that happens in an orderly fashion and doesn't bring disorder to the people of God. Just some really interesting, simple things that when you look at the New Testament around prophecy, it says is this. First of all is we receive a message from God, and in a sense, helpful way to think about that, that's like the data. And secondly, we weigh it correctly and accurately in community. That's the interpretation. 
Now, I just want to talk about this really quickly. You need to differentiate the data and the interpretation. Often in prophecy, it goes bad when those two things are confused. A story I read recently as I was researching for this sermon was the story of a church in the US had someone come, a visiting speaker, and in the middle of the service, this speaker got a very strong prophetic word. And they stopped the service, pointed out someone, and basically said, I see an image of a thief, and are you from this particular business? And this person was like, yes. This person was the CEO of this business. And the prophet said, you are stealing money from your business. You're about to get caught out, and God is confronting you now for how you've been stealing money, and you've been corrupt and committing fraud. Okay, that's not a sermon where you're falling asleep up the back. That's like next level. That's like, like intense. The guy started arguing back, like, no, what are you talking about? Felt completely exposed and was like, you know, like so emotional, saying, this is not true, this is not me. The pastor actually had to stop the service. Again, this is like <laughs> next level. They stopped the service. They went out and basically had a meeting. And the pastor said to the visiting speaker, what was the image you got? And he said, I got the image of an old-time thief with a mask and one of those bags going into this particular business, got the name of the business right, and stealing money. And the pastor said, was it this guy? And he's like, actually, I didn't see that. The guy then goes back, gets an accountancy, outside accountancy firm to come and do an audit of his business and discovers that his bookkeeper is committing massive fraud. Really interesting. The data was right, the interpretation was wrong. So actually, often with prophecy, it's not up to us to deliver the interpretation. Often we can feel this pressure. The one I talked about the other week, the person was just like, I have this weird image. I don't even know what this means. This is bizarre. Does it mean this? I'm not sure. Left it, and I'm like, I know exactly what that means. So don't feel pressure if you ever get something to have to explain it. Now, what's really interesting in the New Testament, it talks about when a word's given, a couple of the elders or other prophets work through that. So what's interesting is that prophecy comes to actually be weighed and interpreted. Again, going back to this, if some of it is human words, we need to understand what they are. We need to understand what God's word is. We need to understand if it's a weak prophetic word, where there's some stuff in that, it's mature, it's strong. What is that? It needs to be weighed so anything that's said, again, remembering, it's not equal to Scripture. It's not like you respond to Scripture. It needs to be accurately interpreted within community, to have counsel. It's not helpful to ever give anyone a word. And if anyone's ever done this to you, I'd just be, put some caution around this. If someone comes to you and says, I've got a word from the Lord and you can't tell anyone else, that's an alarm bell. This is something which needs to be able to share, even just with one or two others, that are a wise counsel. And then the last one is, words are given for application. This is not given just as some secret knowledge for you to work through. So why does this happen? Well, firstly, prophecy comes to build the church. So much prophecy and misunderstandings around prophecy and even some of the hurts around prophecy comes because people give and sometimes people seek prophecy for two main reasons. Romance and life decisions. That's not in scripture. 
Now, sometimes God does give words in those avenues, but the primary thing, what does Scripture say? Don't listen to me. What does Scripture say? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 5. Prophecy is given so that the church may be edified or built up and strengthened. Ephesians 4, verses 12 to 13, after describing the gifts such as prophecy, why are they given? To equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. So mission, helping the poor, spreading the gospel, building the church, until the people of God are built up, coming together in unity. And in the knowledge of the Son of God, we become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Primarily, prophecy comes to build the church and strengthen you in your faith, not just to give domestic little things when you're wondering about what to do in a life situation. In fact, prophecy plays a part in a whole bunch of different things. Prophecy sometimes can be used by some people to actually opt out of the responsibility of developing godly wisdom. So, we need to read, if we, what does God want to say about an issue? Read scripture. Grow in godly wisdom. Get deep in Proverbs. Live a life of obedient discipleship. Fight sin and the flesh in your life. Pray and fast. Get godly counsel. Participate in Christian community and church life. And prophecy is part of that matrix. But prophecy does not come so that you don't have to take responsibility for walking in godly wisdom. I do know people, there was a guy I knew who wasn't a Christian, I was sharing the gospel with him, and I was like praying that God would break through to him. He went to a country town far away where no one knew him, and he's walking down the main street, and this woman just walked up and said, I don't know why, this is so bizarre, but I just have to tell you, I don't even know who you are, that God absolutely loves you. Sometimes God will do stuff like that when it's in that sense of drawing people to him, But God wants to use prophecy as part of a a wide web of wonderful things. So prophecy comes to encourage and comfort. Particularly in simple prophecy, prophecy comes to encourage and comfort. If someone's given you a word and you feel absolutely disturbed by that, you need to really weigh that word. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort, Paul says in Corinthians 1, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 3. What that also means is that if you're there and you're exploring this and you feel this real sense that you need to go and tell someone a simple message, could be a scripture, could be an image, that is going to encourage and comfort them, like it's a no-brainer, like to go up to someone and say, look, I just had this real sense that God absolutely loves you, that he's pleased with you that on the cross he died for you and you just need to know that, that's like pretty much proceed full steam ahead. That's going to encourage and comfort someone. So prophecy comes to encourage and comfort us. Prophecy will always come to glorify Jesus. Revelation 19 verse 10 says, for the spirit of prophecy bears testimony to Jesus. That means prophecy doesn't come to glorify the prophet or the giver of the word. Prophecy is actually something which we deliver, which always should point people back to Jesus and glorify Him. Prophecy comes to draw us deeper into mature Christian community. The image that Paul is giving of prophecy is not someone on a street just walking up to someone and giving words and having a little booth, dishing out information. That actually what it is, it happens in the the ebb and flow of Christian life and Christian community. Prophecy is what the world will be like 
when we live in the fullness of the knowledge of God at the end of the age. So it's actually drawing us into the life we'll have in the future. That's how history ends. So get used to speaking in this language now and operating in these ways because it's only going to get more and more like this. So that's some of the things of what prophecy is, how to grow then in the prophetic. The first thing is desire prophecy. Scripture tells you to desire prophecy. If you're scared of prophecy, you're misunderstanding it. It's actually really every day. We've over-mystified it. Some of us have once used us this thing in a secular Western context, in a culture which has only been around for the last 300 years, that somehow prophecy is going to come as this supernatural atom bomb that's going to blow doubting secularists out of the water as we tell them some amazing fact. Now, God can act in different ways. But the main thing of prophecy is actually to build the church. So therefore, we need to desire it, be eager for it. Scripture tells us that. So first of all, desire prophecy. Second, live a life of fasting and prayer. I don't mean constant fasting, but this desire of going after this, taking responsibility for your discipleship. God brings salvation through grace, but we've got to step into the work of sanctification, wrestling to know God more. Number three, seeking God's face. It is, is something that is born of intimacy with God, where we sit with him. So much of prayer is the flip that happens where you go to God and you're always talking at Him. And there's a bit in the relationship where the talking from you quietens down and finally God can get a word in and God begins to speak to you. And our expectations, our framework, our justice, our concept of what should be happening all of a sudden drops And God then begins to speak. It's at that point often of our relationship with God that we then begin to hear his heart, what he wants to say. For prophecy to work well, we're so trained by our culture to just think of our needs and ourselves first, to be consumers. But to come into church and just ask this really simple question, God, do you have anything for anyone here? What do you want to say to other people? God, how do you want me to encourage someone today? Have you got anything? You may have something, God, you don't. I'm here. I'm willing. Which leads to the last one. Seek to, be fully, seek to fully obey God. To step into prophecy is to be obedient, to respond to words he may give you, and also to be obedient to respond once weighed and counsel has come. But if God speaks, to actually respond to that as well. This happens in the framework of obedience. It's really, really key. So, if you have ever had a word, if even God is giving you a word now, how do you go about this? It's really simple, some of these frameworks. Just some simple questions. I encourage you to write these down. These are from Mike Bickle. Number one, if you hear something, sense something, first question, who is supposed to hear this? Who is supposed to hear this? If you've got something, people often presume, therefore I've got to tell the whole church, tell everyone I know. But who is God giving this message of encouragement and comfort to? How does God want to build his church? So therefore, who is supposed to hear this? And then how do you go about this? Is this something that you need to share with that person? Do you need to bring it to the leaders of the church? Maybe the leaders of your mid-sized group or someone that you know in the church that you respect, their biblical and godly wisdom. Who are we actually meant to bring it to? 
How much of it are you meant to share? I had something a few years ago where some things were revealed to me about this particular person who I sort of knew. And it was a bit of a warning, to be honest. And it was really strange. I didn't know what to do with it. And then someone came to me and shared some stuff about that person which confirmed this, confirmed the warning. I sat on this for some time. I'm like, do I need to go and confront this person? Do I need to go public with this? I didn't know what to do. And then, literally like three or four years later, someone came to me and there was a ministry opportunity where they were going to do some stuff with this person. And I said to this person, I'm not going to tell you why, but my strongest indication is actually not to go into this partnership with this particular person. And at that point, I realized that I was never meant to tell all of the information. What I was meant to do was just meant to hold part of it. But that was for that thing which would happen in four years. So there's a key thing, number four, when to share. When in doubt, wait it out. When in doubt, wait it out. Because often what God will do is give prophetic words, but actually it takes some time before they then come to fruition. The words that were given to me by that prophet many moons ago, some of them I didn't know for years. Now what was really interesting too is that over time God would speak of it in different ways. I now look back and realize key things that happened. Alan, who was the senior pastor of this church, when I first began, he invited me to speak at his book launch. And I spoke at his book launch. And he got up, and it wasn't like a church, it was a book launch. And he said a number of things. He said, thank you, Mark. I really see this for Mark happening, this happening for Mark. I didn't believe him, like, really, what? All of those things he said in just the most demystified, normal way have come true. So the things that were said by that prophet with a whole bunch of human stuff around it were then said a number of years later. And then a week later, an Anglican vicar come and say, again, confirmation. So often it takes time for God to work through things. He's telling you something, that you're on the right path, that you're moving. So asking the question of when to share. I believe God is inviting people here into a new way of interacting with him. As I said, if you're scared by this, you're misunderstanding it. We need to demystify this. This is a normal part of church life. There are so many people that I have shared words with. And you know, the overwhelming thing when you share a word of encouragement with people is the amount of times that people have simply burst into tears and said, I needed to hear that. Who does not need encouragement and comfort? What church doesn't need building and strengthening? I believe God is leading us into a time where more of us, this becomes normal, where we just share this stuff with people because God has equipped us and given us these gifts to share with people because he wants to do a new thing. This is something that needs to be developed and worked on, but it's an exciting adventure with God. If you're someone who Christianity has just been a Sunday thing and you're coming and you're reading your Bible and you're trying to do this and you're like, is this it? I want to invite you into the prophetic life of listening. I want to invite you the next time at your cafe to say, God, what have you got me to say here? Do I need to pay for that person's coffee? Do I need to just silently intercede for that person on the bus, in class, at home? 
begin to move into a posture where you realize that God is speaking to you. You live in the age when the church is being given the Spirit, when God wants to speak. Become an agent, a conduit of that language that He wants to bring into the world of His love and comfort for people. So we're going to stand now, and actually what we're going to do is just pray about this. What I would like to do is I would like to pray that this is strengthened within us, that simple form of prophecy. Second, I would also like to pray that actually some people here get, 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 go and get it, (laughs) actually get the gift of prophecy. So I just invite you to step into a receptive posture. We're just going to pray now and close your eyes. If you want to put your hands out in a posture of receiving, that's up to you. If there's something you want to step into, there's no compulsion here. God is good and gives us good things. His yoke is easy. I just want to speak that over this moment. His yoke is easy. Before we move into this time, I also just want to give you an opportunity just to put down on the ground, symbolically giving back to God, any words which have been confusing to you. If some of you are here and you've had words spoken over you, which really haven't come to fruition, where you're now like, man, was that like 90% human? Maybe it was 100% human? Any words which have been given to anyone here through self-seeking from someone, through even spiritual abuse, we put them on the ground now, Father. Anything that was never your word, we put down. Even some of those things around even maybe romance, jobs, direction, that have been unhelpful. We put them down on the ground. We give them to you, Father. But now we turn our attention to you. We ask your Holy Spirit to come. Come, Holy Spirit, amongst us now. You're present. You're ready. As Moses prayed, Father, we pray your Spirit upon these people. May they, first of all, just begin to move into those prophetic lifestyles just in simple, really ordinary ways. Just give them simple pictures, words, things of encouragement, things of building up for others. Help them to see the world in a new way. I actually want to pray, Father, for an opening of ears, for the spiritual wax that can get in there when we're not used to listening to you just pass, and then we begin to see and hear our eyes to open as well to what you want to show us, even our hearts, what you want to feel us. Feel, help us to feel, Father. And in Jesus' name, I just want to pray that this becomes normal for people. For those of you who've been feeling and hearing and seeing stuff, may what is from God become more and more recognisable. Show us who we need to show that to. And in Jesus' name, I just want to pray, God, you distribute your gifts. You ask us to eagerly pray for gifts. And you say that prophecy is one which builds the church. In Jesus' name, I want to pray that whoever you want to give that gift to, Jesus now, that you will give it to them. Father, whoever needs to be equipped with the gift of prophecy, we pray that in Jesus' name. Pray for any stereotypes of what that looks like, Old Testament prophecy, weird people. (laughs) Father, just normal people operating naturally in the supernatural, whose gift is actually going to build and encourage others, build your church. Father, we need more of that in our church. We pray you release that gift. And Father, even if you want anyone here to actually step into a ministry, which they may not have even yet because of that gift, and I don't even mean ministry in a sense of working for a church, just a ministry of wherever they are, 
And Father, even if you need to raise prophets, we pray for that too, for a prophetic office. Do what you need to do, God. We're humble and we're open. So just as we worship now, Lord, as we sing this next song, as we sing these two songs, just distribute your gifts. Give us your goodness. Help us to see and hear in the ways that you want us to hear. In Jesus' name.